How you guys doing? It is, it is nice to see your smiling faces here this morning. Um, we, we like to preach scripture here. We like to preach the Bible. Um, and I'm excited. We're, we're kind of wrapping this time in John. And then we're going to come back and revisit John a little bit later. This is the last sermon we'll be preaching in John uh, for a few weeks. And we're going to jump after Easter. We're going to jump into Jonah. So that's an exciting time. But this last passage in John really brings up some heavy issues. We're going to be going into John chapter 8. Um, but I saw this headline, and I don't like to, I don't like to um, just throw out stuff for sensationalism, but I saw this headline in the New York Times this week. I don't know if anybody saw this, but California seeks to head off initiative to execute gays. What? execute? What on earth is going on? And we, of course, we pass this around the community a, a little bit with the elders. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to preach issues today. We're not here to preach hot topic, hot button issues, right? But let me ask you, what should our response as Christians be to situations like this? What should our response be to sins of others? What should our response be to the self-righteous condemnation of other people? How do we deal with issues like this? And I'll tell you, this article couldn't have come at a better time because we get to see a beautiful picture of how Jesus deals with something very similar in his day. And let's turn in. Austin's going to read for us uh, John chapter 753 and 8 through 11. Um, and we'll have the scriptures up on the screen for you as well. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to learn something about your son today, and that's good news. Thank you for the opportunity to, to just gather and, and to worship you and to find our true calling, our true purpose, our true identity, and our true source of joy. You've been good to us, and um, we love you, Lord. Help us to just really absorb this and to learn this and to apply this to our lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right. So I'll be starting at John chapter 7, verse 53, and then straight on to 8. Here we go. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. 
But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Hmm. Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the word of the Lord, you guys. Amen. Thank you, Austin. Now, if you follow along in your Bible, uh, you probably saw brackets around this that says something to the effect of this passage wasn't contained in the original manuscripts. A brief note on that. Um, And I wrote a blog about this that should be tweeting about now to Facebook and stuff, or you can talk to me about that after. Um, But a brief note about that, and that is most scholars agree that these 11 verses are not in John's original gospel. However, most scholars agree that it bears the mark of an apostle authoring it. Um, It's probably a very genuine incident in Jesus' life, and therefore it's genuinely inspired scripture. So if any of you would like to talk more about that after the service, I would love to. Um, I got to study that out a lot this week. It was a lot of fun. Um, However, I don't want to preach a sermon on hermeneutics and textual criticism. I want to preach the text of this, uh, this story of what's going on here. Because most church fathers and modern scholars agree, I think we're safe doing that. But here's the deal. If we miss what is happening in this passage, guys, today we will get stuck. We'll get stuck in our pasts, get stuck in a past of depression and guilt and shame. We'll get stuck in our relationships with other people. We'll become people that are hateful, bitter, despising. We'll become the kind of people who are critical. And a lot of people, when they read this passage, they kind of walk away with this summary. Don't throw stones. And that's good. That's, that's great. But there's so much more here. And if you will tune in to what the Holy Spirit would say to your heart today... I believe that you are going to really see a picture of the life that I think we're all longing for, a life that's been touched by mercy, a life that is filled and free and and just full of joy and hope. How many of you guys want that today? Yes. All right. It can be yours. And there's no cost. There's no gimmick here. It's awesome. So I promise if you'll listen in, uh, God is going to do something in your heart. There's three players in this drama The woman caught in sin, who's struggling with guilt and shame. You also see the Pharisees, who are struggling with their anger and critical spirits. And thirdly, we see Jesus, who has, of course, a life that is marked by mercy. And here's the deal. We are all living like one of them. Who do you want to live like? (laughs) All right, we can go home. There we go. (laughs) As I meditated on this passage this week, God really, really opened my heart and laid me bare and showed me some stuff in my own heart that will probably come out in the form of confession as well in this sermon. But let's start off by looking at this woman, this sinful woman. Have you ever got caught doing something you weren't supposed to? How did that feel? Great, right? It's always fun. And so my, it's funny, a brief example from this week, I was hanging out with my parents and my dad is, 
my dad is six foot seven, and he's always been an athlete. But right now, dad, if you're listening, I love you. Um, he's he's a little heavier than normal. He's almost as tall laying down now, kind of a thing, you know. He's, um, so he's on a special diet, and um, Gavin uh, was sitting there, and Gavin has picked up on what this diet is. So we're sitting there eating, and my dad goes to sneak a piece of bacon when my mom is not looking, and Gavin says, "Ooh, Papa, don't eat the bacon." And my mom goes, like that, laser beams. And my dad's all. (laughs) Awesome getting caught, isn't it? Awesome. We all have things we're ashamed of, I think. We all have things in our daily lives, maybe in our past, maybe recent things. How would you like it if you had a helmet, a hat, that had a giant screen on the front that just always displayed everything you were thinking to the world around you? It's called Facebook. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the screen where we project what we want people to think about us. I'm talking about no filter. This is who I am. The truth is, Scripture says we have all sinned. Right? Romans says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or as Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So I think we could agree we're in a bad spot apart from God's mercy. As Paul, I mean, as Paul says later, the wages of sin is what? Yeah. It's heavy news. It's the news that this woman is, is sitting under in this story. And these things, I think, from our past, they weigh on us, don't they? When you look back at your past, I think, I don't know about you, but I often, when I think back to things, I still feel a tinge of guiltiness, shame. Sometimes we try to ignore them. Sometimes we try to push them out and try not to think about those parts of our past, those things we did, those things we said. Anybody else? Have we wasted time dwelling on stuff, hiding stuff, lying, making sure people would never find out, wondering about our salvation even? This woman, for honest today, I think we can all identify her, identify with her. She, she is guilty, and she's caught in the act. The accusers are surrounding her. She's sinking in despair. There's no hope. Moments away from death, and in wash Jesus. And he stoops down next to her, and he starts writing in the sand. Now, I don't know what he was writing in the sand. This is probably the original street art. I'm sure Banksy and Shepard Ferry would be very blown away by how thought-provoking it was. But the answer is like, we don't really know what he wrote in the street. There's a lot of different conjecture and ideas about what it could have been. Some people say he wrote the names of the Pharisees and listed their sins. Other people say, no, he drew a line in the sand and he dared them to cross it. Which one of you has sinned? Go ahead, cross it. Some people say this. I really like this one, this theory. Jeremiah 17 says this. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Which, of course, in this chapter right before, Jesus revealed himself himself as the spring of living water, and these people are rejecting him. So maybe he was writing that scripture reference. We don't know what he wrote, 
But as Augustine says, the church father, the two were left alone. As they all dropped the rocks, turned and walked away, the two were left alone, the wretched woman in mercy. And here's the point. I think if we're honest, we can all identify with this woman caught in her sin and then just a few moments later caught in the grace of God. As you think back to where you were when Jesus found you, what does that do to your heart? As you think back to the grace that he lavished on you, when he said, neither do I condemn you. What does that do to your heart? Do you feel your heart warmed and overwhelmed with gratitude or are you so used to hearing it, it's just kind of another sermon, another time when I heard that story again? As you think back, what is going on in your heart? I love how Romans 6.23 ends. It doesn't just say the wages of sin is death, but it says what? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, here's the deal. If you've believed on Jesus, you don't need to feel guilt or shame anymore. No more. If you identify with this woman today and you're in Christ, there are stones dropping all around you. People are fleeing the scene. Accusers are running away. Satan can't say a thing about you in your past. The people that you have like, been afraid of what they would say if they found out, the people that maybe you've been afraid of, of what they think of you, the accusers, the people who have said stuff, it doesn't matter what they say because Jesus is where? He's right there next to you in the dust. Nobody can stand in judgment over you except who? Jesus. It's good news, amen? amen? For in Christ we are forgiven, set free, pure, washed, clean, 100%. There's not like one little part that he forgot about that he didn't wash away. You're cleansed. And if you aren't in Christ yet, why wait? This is the best news ever, guys. Today's your day. Get in, the water's warm. We love it here. All right? And, and here's, here's the one thing I would say, guys. Just a brief application point. Take time to remember. Take time out of your daily life to remember who you were apart from Christ and how much he's loved you. Let your heart be warmed by the gospel of grace. Because that's what we see with this next group. This next group, they forgot. This next group needed grace just as much as that woman, but they forgot that they were forgiven by God. And here they come with their stones. I hope I don't drop that on my foot. I'm wearing flip-flops. That would be bad. And guys, here's the deal. Don't be too quick to cast judgment on these guys. Because just like we're like the woman in the story, if we're really honest, I think we're all like these guys as well. Now, I'll show you how. Have you ever sought justice before? Have you ever been hurt, lied to, mistreated, and you want to get justice? Anybody? Yeah, of course. We all have this moral compass, this version of what's right and what's wrong inside our hearts. And because of that, we have all judged. I know we don't like to think of ourselves as judgmental people, right? but we, we've all judged. It's part of how we're created. Right? We all have a version of what's right and what's wrong. And I think what ends up happening is we either throw out 
our versions of what's right and what's wrong. And then, of course, when, when we do that, like we feel like everyone else should throw out their versions of what's right and what's wrong too, that relativism thing. And it's just a different version of like, you're wrong because you have a version of right and wrong. So I still have a version of right and wrong. Are you guys tracking? Relativism doesn't really work 100%. Um, so we either throw out our versions or we see the world through those definitions. And then what happens is our sense of morality, our sense of right and wrong and righteousness, what happens when it gets offended? What happens when people trample on you or on things you hold in high regard? Well, if it's just some theoretical thing out there, maybe you will, maybe you won't defend it, but what if they knock your kid over in the grocery aisle? Hey, wait a second. What if, yeah, yeah, what, what if you're driving and they cut you off and then slow down? Right? That's why we all have a horn on our car. It's a justice button. <laughs> you sinned against me. Why did you do that? Right? We all have a horn on our car. I, this week, I'm driving with Nancy, and I'm telling her about this sermon. And a, and a guy runs the light in front of me. I'm not going to filter it. Idiot! That's what I said. Top of my lungs, red in the face. Go from like, yeah, Jesus says forgive them. Idiot! <laughs> and she just like, I saw this smirk on her face, and she just said, what were you saying? <laughs> we all have our versions of righteousness. And when people offend our version of righteousness, it ticks us off, right? We judge them. It's how we're shaped. The, the problem is this. We aren't equipped to judge them well. And I'll tell you why. Because none of us actually has a good version of righteousness. We all hold certain things up as important to us. Things we hold in high regard. Things we think are good behavior. Things normally that we can pull off pretty well. And somebody else does, like, the classic example that I share often in discipleship is the toothpaste. It's, it's very frustrating for me because Nancy always squeezes from the top. And I'm the guy who rolls it up from the bottom. Because when I go to brush my teeth, I don't want to work for a half hour to try to get paste out of the tube. You know what I'm saying? How, why does she? <laughs> I'm not trying to cause arguments in the audience. Before you cast stones, just wait till we're finished. Wait till after the But then, you know, middle of the night, I hear her like mumbling under her breath, angry in the restroom because I left the toilet seat up again right? And she almost fell in because it's in the dark. So I have my version of righteousness and she's not living up to my standard. And then she has her version of righteousness and I try to live up to her standard. I really do. We're still married 13 years later, but I, I fail more often than not. And here's the deal. We hold certain things up high and then we ignore other things. Other things aren't as important to us. You ever hear this? Let me ask you, somebody's complaining about someone else and they say, I can't believe she did that. I would never do that, right? Do you hear that? That's my version of righteousness. I would never do what she just did. She's stepping on my version of how things should be. And the thing is, when we do that, the truth is there are other people who have other versions of what's right and wrong and guess what? They're saying the same thing about us, aren't they? 
So scripture says none of us, none of our own versions of righteousness are good enough, none of our own moral performance. Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even the best we have to offer is still, compared to God's perfect righteousness, just doesn't measure up, does it? Only God can judge because only he has a perfect version of what's right and what's wrong. I know what you might be thinking. This is what I was thinking. Well, yeah, but what if I use his version, what's right and what's wrong? What if I agreed with that? Could, could we judge people then? Well, that's what the Pharisees are doing in this story. The law of God is what they're using to judge others. But there's a couple of problems with that. Firstly, like we said, they've never kept the law of God perfectly. All have sinned. We said this, right? Jesus says, which one of you without sin go ahead and throw the first stone and they all leave. They've all sinned. None of them have kept the law of God perfectly. And two, here's the big issue. The big root beneath this chapter is that their hearts are twisting and perverting the law of God to use it for themselves and for their own desires. I talk to people all the time and they say, yeah, the problem with Christianity, you look at it historically, you guys have done some really bad stuff. Crusades. People, use, people hijack religion all the time, don't they, in order to use it for their own means. It's not Christianity necessarily that caused the Crusades or certain atrocities around the world. It is people who take the law of God, who take things like Christianity to faith, and they twist it and they bend it and they use it and contort it for what they want, for their own purposes. And that's what these religious, religious leaders are doing here. They're using the law of God to get what they want. And in this case, it's to trap Jesus. They hate him. They hate Jesus. Yes, adultery is same, shameful. Sexual sin is wrong. But they are acting in a shameful way worthy of death too. The Pharisees are displaying a zeal for righteousness and holiness. But guys, it's not tempered with grace. They're not really really trying to keep the law of God. They're bending it and using it for what they want. To trap him into saying something incriminating. Because if Jesus says, free her, he goes against the law of Moses. And if Jesus says, stone her, he goes against the law of Rome. So either way, they've trapped him. They've got him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does something brilliant. He who is without sin cast the first stone. But let me ask you a question. Let's really track back. Why are they doing this? What's going on in their heart? I'll tell you. I think it's because we get angry. And I think if we really look back into anger, anger can be a good thing. In fact, the Bible, did you know the Bible commands you to be angry? Yeah, Ephesians. Paul says, be angry and sin not. He doesn't say don't be angry or, hey, guys, if you get angry, just make sure you try not to sin in it. And as Christians, I think we have this really weird view of anger where we're just never supposed to be angry. We're always supposed to have peace and shalom. <laughs> right? But anger is actually a good thing. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says all our emotions are God-given and healthy and natural in their proper context. The problem is when we take them outside of their proper context when we use them and twist them 
for our own desires, right? God gets angry in scripture. Jesus gets angry. It's part of our God-given emotions. And, and anger, is, anger is explosive power that God has put in us to right wrongs, to fix injustice, to do something about things that are wrong in the world. When you see something's wrong and you don't get angry about it, that may be a bigger issue, right? Tim Keller says it this way, anger is energy used to defend something good or destroy something evil. You can always tell if anger is righteous by asking yourself this question, what am I defending? What am I destroying? So it's natural for us to want to make sure things are made right, that justice is served, that that person that hurt me can never do it again, right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you hear that? But that's so easily, guys, and hear me. The problem with anger is we still have fallen hearts. And what so easily happens is that anger can easily become bitterness and can lead to a critical spirit. It can twist you up inside. It can become a a bitterness that eats away at you inside like a cancer. Where all you, it starts out by you just start seeing injustice everywhere. You've got to fix everything. And then pretty soon you've got a critical spirit of everyone. You ever meet people who are just, if somebody's in authority, they would love that person on the street or if they're hanging out at the restaurant, but because they're in authority, they naturally resist them. Why? Because they've been done wrong by somebody in authority. And so now they are pushing away against everyone who stands in authority because they're afraid they don't want to be done wrong again. Our desires are broken and we want to be in control. We want to protect ourselves. So we start seeking justice everywhere and we get warped. We get bitter. We get critical. These Pharisees, they're not after justice anymore. They've become warped. They're not really looking to uphold the law. They're using it to get control get what they want. And you know what bitterness looks like? Rocks. That's what it looks like. Turn to your neighbor, ask him, is there a rock in your hand? And make sure there's not. You know what it's time to do, guys? Drop the rock in your hand. Let go. Amen? Amen. You heard this, like when you point fingers, you've got three pointing back at you and one pointing at God. No matter where you point it, it's pointing at God. He's everywhere. (laughs) Don't judge people. Let God be the judge. Let go. Drop these rocks and they're just weighing you down. They're distorting your life. Let go and live freer and lighter. Honestly, you know what these rocks do? If we're not careful, they actually are condemning us. The rocks we hold in our hands. Because they're testifying to the fact that we're not living in grace. There's a story Jesus tells in Matthew 18 of a, a servant who comes to a rich man to, to the Lord and says, uh, Lord, I have a great debt. It's massive. There's no way I'm going to be able to repay it. 
And what does Jesus say that the rich man says to him? He says, I forgive you. And he lets go of all of his massive debt that he can never repay. And then what do we see happens next? To this merciless guy, he goes out to a guy who owes him like 10 bucks and it says he lays hands on him. He like chokes the guy out and says, give me my $10. And the Lord hears about it and calls the guy in. And this is what he says in Matthew 18. In his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his massive debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, that's, that's true anger. This guy was angry in this story. Why? God gets angry about injustice. When he forgives us and then we refuse to pass that on to others, that's injustice. That's wrong. When we hold on to unforgiveness, we are no different from these Pharisees. We've forgotten that apart from God's grace, we are this same woman caught in sin. The only one who can truly give that justice is who, guys? Jesus. Why? He's the only one that's perfect, isn't he? And what is he doing? Where is Jesus at in this story? He's down in the dirt next to the woman who's being accused. He's giving mercy. I got frustrated with my wife this week. We were having an argument. Um, it never happens anymore after 13 years. This was a rare, really rare occurrence. And um, I, this, this passage was on my heart, and the Holy Spirit brought it up to me in the middle of it because I, I was defending my position, right? What she said was wrong, <clears throat> gritting my teeth. And the Holy Spirit said, why are you holding that rock? Now, I wasn't holding an actual rock at the time. <laughs> Save you the suspense. But I, I, like in the moment, I imagine Jesus like kneeling there beside her, looking up at me and saying, are you without sin? And that moment completely changed my posture and my attitude in the disagreement. Like this, this story doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements. This story doesn't mean we don't still seek justice. This story doesn't mean that we don't still even try to live a life above sin and call righteousness righteousness and sin sin right? But it means as we do, we do it from a place of brokenness and humility and remembering our needs in his provision, remembering our sin in his mercy. And that's how we're able to give grace to one another. Amen? We forgive. Where are you at today? Are you, you find yourself down in the dirt, marred by sin, ashamed, guilty? Do you find yourself thinking about people at work, spouse, somebody you're in a relationship with, and you've got a rock in your hand? Or do you find yourself down where Jesus is? I'll tell you what, honestly, this week, there's been two, three times I found myself on the high horse kind of towering above Jesus instead of down on the dirt next to the people who offended me and hurt me. We can never sit on a high horse when Jesus is down in the dirt in the line of fire. N.T. Wright says it this way. I love what he says in his commentary on this passage. He says, By confronting this sin, Jesus has put himself literally in the firing line from which he has just rescued the woman. 
If you read chapter 8 as it stands from beginning to end, you may see a pattern which will continue through to Jesus' death. This is part of what it means, John seems to be saying, that Jesus is God's lamb, the one who takes away the sin of the world. I want to be next to Jesus, down in the dirt, beside the people who have offended me and wronged me and hurt me. I don't want to be standing there with a rock in my hand. And that brings us to the final point. We are all called to become like Jesus. The Bible says, when we have received God's mercy, we are free. He who the Son has set free is free, what? Indeed. Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. If anyone could have condemned this woman, who could have? Jesus But this is what John Piper says. He says, Jesus gives her mercy, but more than that, he calls her into a new life. The gospel is not just the forgiveness of sins. It's a quality of life that overcomes the power of sin. And here's the deal. I'm sure she sinned again. When you forgive somebody and you put your rock down, they're probably going to sin against you again. They're probably going to hurt you again. Mercy is an ongoing act. It's a lifestyle. It's a choice. Amen? Yeah. And there's a, the, the deal is, like, I'm sure she sinned, but, but we get this opportunity to forgive those who hurt us again over and over. And I have to briefly talk about forgiveness because there's two ways we try to forgive that, apart from the gospel. One, the first way is we try to suppress what somebody else has done. We just push it down deep. We try to ignore it. We try to forget about it. Uh, has anybody seen the movie Schindler's List? Right. Talk about a movie that really shows the brokenness and depravity of people. But there's this Nazi guy who's in charge of the camp. You guys remember this? And, and he's, just, he's just a jerk. He treats everybody bad. He actually just starts killing people randomly because he can, because he's in power. Horrible. And Oscar Schindler sees what's going on, and he comes to him, and he says, hey, listen, true power isn't in being able to just take a life. True power is in being able to take it, revenge on somebody, and instead saying, I pardon you. And so we see this guy, what's he do? He like, the very next scene is this girl who cleans the dishes wrong or something, right? And he's ticked off at her, and he goes like, and he says, "Mm, I pardon you, like that. And she walks away like, what was that? (laughs) And then you see him do that for like two or three more scenes. But eventually what happens? He's just suppressing it. He goes crazy. He goes crazy. He has this moment where he just goes up on his balcony and just starts doing horrible things, atrocities, killing people, hurting people. Why? Because he never actually forgave anybody. He said, I forgive you, but he didn't really pardon them. He was holding on to it all in his heart. He suppressed it. And that's how we forgive apart from the gospel oftentimes. When we haven't received the mercy that's ours in the gospel or we've forgotten about it, we just suppress people's wrongs to us. And what ends up happening? Well, we do a few things. We explode on them and destroy them instead of the issue. Or sometimes we implode on ourselves. We hold in all that anger. And, you know, as they say, anger turned inward becomes what? Depression. Depression. So that anger, that creative force that can fix wrongs and make things right, all of a sudden is destroying lives because we're suppressing it. 
Or the other way we tend to do things is we tend to just justify and excuse people. Make excuses for him. Oh, he was just raised that way. They don't know any better. He's just under a lot of stress right now. That's why he did that. So we create these conditions for people and then we forgive them. But the problem is we're not actually forgiving them. We're forgiving a version of them that we created in our mind. We're not letting them own up to their own brokenness. So either we love and forgive by ignoring and suppressing or we love and forgive by excusing based on conditions. But the gospel frees us to actually love and forgive unconditionally. And I'll tell you how as we start to close. Notice Jesus doesn't ignore her sin and he doesn't suppress her sin. He sees her as she is. She's broken, she's guilty, she was caught in the act. He sees that and he says, I forgive you, neither do I condemn you. Because guys, here's the deal. The reason the gospel frees us to forgive people and not just suppress things and ignore them and not just excuse them and act like they didn't happen. The reason the gospel frees us to do this is because we know how everything ends. We know how everything ends. How do we know? Because somebody else is the judge. See, if we trust in the gospel we get the opportunity to believe that God will make everything right. That God is gonna make all of your wrongs right and that God is gonna make all of their wrongs right. Do you guys believe that today? Yeah. So we're free to hand over our judgment to Jesus because he's the only one who can truly judge. Abraham in Genesis says, hey, shall, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the truth is, in the end, he will. He makes everything right. So, Every single person on the face of the earth will either pay for their unjust things, their deeds, their sins against you, their, their pain that they caused you and inflicted upon you. They will either pay for it or it will be charged to the account of Christ. But either way, that's not my business. I have no business holding a stone toward anybody if I believe the gospel. Jesus kneels down in the dust and stood between the rocks and the woman. And the truth is he's done that for each one of us. Will you guys stand with me for a second as we close? See, not only did Jesus stand in the way of her rocks, so to speak, just in case somebody decided to throw that rock but what do we see a few chapters later in John? We see Jesus running to stand in the way of the giant rock that was coming down to crush each and every one of us for our sin against God. Jesus Christ came and he was crushed under the weight of sin so you would never have to be. Jesus Christ came and purchased your forgiveness and guess what? He purchased their forgiveness too if they are in him. So you can let it go. You can let that rock go and you can trust that Jesus Christ, the judge of the all, all the earth, will do right. Amen? Let's pray. I just want to ask you as you close your eyes, maybe you find yourself, maybe you're like this poor woman, still bound in shame and guilt from your past, haunted, depressed, 
You can be free today. You really can. Remember what God in Christ has done for you. Confess your belief in that today. Whether it's the first time or the the 101st time, I want to see everybody in this church be free from guilt and shame and depression. Or maybe you're like these Pharisees. Maybe you have a critical spirit. Maybe you're holding on to things. You're holding on to stones. You can be free today. You can let go. You can drop those stones and come to Jesus. Because Jesus took on your condemnation. Close your eyes. Can you hear his voice? Can you hear him say, where are your accusers? Does no one else condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. One of my favorite old hymns has a line. It says, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more, but Jehovah knoweth none. Can you imagine the life you're called into? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for calling us into life, abundant, forgiven. Thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you that we're loved with an undying love, immeasurable, unconditional. Holy Spirit, I know you want us to share that love and mercy with others. I know you want to empower us to forgive the most horrible things in life. I I pray that you would clean the plaque out of our hearts today that you would help us to let go of the things we're holding on to. But I'm not sure I even want to forgive. God is at work in us, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Pray you would change our hard hearts today. I pray that as we come up here and partake in communion, that we would surrender to you in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. I'm going to ask a couple of... uh, church leaders, whoever wants to volunteer to just kind of come and stand over here. If anybody wants prayer today, you say, I still feel a lot of shame and guilt. I want to get prayer. You can come up and get prayed for today. Maybe you say, you know what? I'm still holding on to stuff and I don't know how to let go. I don't even want to let go. You can get freed from that today by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that. Will you come up and pray today? One of the ways we close out our service, for those of you that are visiting, oftentimes what we do is communion. And we do communion in community because this church isn't just a Sunday gathering. At the end of the day, this church is a group of relationships of people in community who are trying to live out their faith. And so we're going to invite everyone who wants to, who's a believer, to come up and partake in communion. And if you don't have a group, you can join a group. You're welcome to. If you want to come down and get prayer, you can do that. And, and if you don't want to do any of that, you can just sit and observe. That's fine. Or come meet me out in the hallway. I'd love to talk to you, give you some more information about New City and what we feel God's calling us to do in, in San Diego. Love you guys very much. And I hope you'll come down and really let go and let God be God today. Amen? Amen.